So this is, when you think about 1 Timothy, if you've been here <clears throat> throughout the fall, we've been going through 1 Timothy. In the letter of 1 Timothy, Paul, Paul kind of bounces all over the place. It's a very technical letter. You know, many people have commented to me, this feels like kind of like a, a textbook, like a handbook. It, it kind of feels like that. And, and in this passage, Paul, basically, if, if this was a blog post, okay, if this was an article that we were reading online, the, the verses that Paul writes today would be bullet points, basically. They're, they're just these bullet points that Paul writes about leadership. And I remember when I was in college, and I was just learning about leadership, I was going to school and, and majoring in pastoral leadership, and one of my classes was on organizational leadership, and I had to interview a number of pastors. And so one of the assignments I had was to interview five to seven pastors, ask them different questions about leadership, about strategy and fundraising, and, and, and I was supposed to write this paper. And, and in this interview, the last question that I asked each of the pastors after asking them, you know, how do you finish well? How do you handle marriage in, in leadership? How do you, what are the pitfalls that a lot of pastors run into? I asked each of them what their definition of leadership was. Now, because they're pastors, some of them had really long-winded answers about what leadership was and how they defined it. But the oldest pastor that I interviewed, he was almost 70 years old, and we were sitting there, and, and I looked at him, and I said, Johnny, I said, okay, my last question for you, Johnny, his name was Johnny, as I said, how would you define leadership? And he just looked at me, and he goes, influence. And he just took a drink of his coffee, and so I'm writing it down, I'm like, influence. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, what else? And he goes, that's it. I said, what do you mean that's it? I said, like, like there's got to be more to it. He goes, no, like, that's just it, Josh. He said, leadership is simply the ability to influence someone else. He said, you could be a good leader. You can be a bad leader. He said, history is filled with people who have influenced nations to destruction. He said, but they were leaders. People followed after them. And he said, so for you, as you think about leadership, it comes down to influence. Now, here's the thing when we hear the word leadership. Some of you immediately go, great, I don't have to listen today because I'm not a leader. This message isn't for me. Some of you are thinking about who you're going to pass this message on to. But the reality is, is that in your life right now, you influence at least one person. And you probably influence way more than that. You influence maybe a spouse, a child, or a grandchild. You influence somebody at school if you're a student. Maybe you have an influence with teachers, a coach, a coworker, a boss. I mean, think about it. The people who come to you to ask for help, to ask for advice. The people who look to you. The people who want to know what you think. That's influence. If you can make somebody do something else, that's influence. And many times we underestimate the amount of influence we have. We underestimate it. If you're a parent, you underestimate the influence you have in your kids because you wonder, are they even listening? I have no idea if they're even listening. Even as your kids get older, you may think, you know what? My kids are 40 years old and I don't even know if they're, I don't even know if they're listening. But you're influencing them. And you're not just influencing people with the words that you say and the ideas that you pass on. You're influencing people with the way that you live. You influence people with the way that you talk, 
You influence people through the way that you talk about the, the opposite sex, the way that you talk about different people. As we looked last week about the family of God, you influence people the way you talk about the hardest people to love and the hardest people to help. Okay? You influence somebody. And somebody influences you. So, this message, while we may look at it and go, you know, I'm not a leader. I don't see myself as a leader. I'm not an upfront person. I never want to have a microphone in my hand. I never want to stand on a stage. That doesn't mean you don't influence people. Some of the biggest influential people in your life are people no one has ever heard of. The people who have made the biggest impact in your life are people that someone has never heard of. There are people in my life who have made enormous, you know, investments in my life that no one has ever heard of. That's the power of influence. And, and as Paul gets to the end of his letter, he wants Timothy to understand, and I think he wants us to understand that if we don't get influence right, we will, we will get so many things wrong. Because the church is to influence the world around it. And I think as a church, we will never be irresistible if we get influence wrong. Now, here's the thing about influence. Unhealthy churches, unhealthy organizations can influence people. Just as you look through history, you see bad, just awful dictator leaders who influence people. So a church can influence people for the wrong things. We can gather a crowd for something fun. We can talk the right game in a cultural moment. We can be the coolest church in town for a season, but that fades. Lasting influence. And as we think about being an irresistible church, what, what our hope is, is we want to build a foundation right now that will last for generations to come. Like we've talked about this, you just drive through New England and you just see, you know, you drive through city squares and you just see empty churches that are now law offices. You see empty churches that are now preschools. We want to be a church that gets influence right so that it lasts for generations. We don't want CCC to just be a flash in the pan. We don't just want CCC to be something that we say, hey, do you remember when it was great? Do you remember when we did this? Do you remember when we had all these people? Do you remember this? No, we want CCC to be influential and irresistible for generations to come. That's what we want. And, and so we have to get influence right. And especially if, if you're a student, there is so much at stake for you to get influence right. There's so much at stake. And we talked about this last week. The context of 1 Timothy 5 is about the family of God, the household of God in the church. And here's why intergenerational relationships are so important in groups. This is why it's so important for caring, Christ-centered adults to be investing in kids and students because kids and students need somebody to say, hey, that's not the right way to have godly influence. Kids and students need somebody to say, hey, I love you too much for you to just keep doing that. You're going to wreck your life. Like, you're going to feel that in 20 years. In 20 years, you're going to wish you didn't do that. We need caring adults who love Jesus to sit in circles with kids and students and say, that's a ditch that you just don't want to get into. Because you probably ended up in that ditch and you wish somebody would have said, hey, you don't want to end up in that ditch, or you wish, I really wish I would have listened to that person. And the thing is, is that we get influence wrong. We look, at, we look at influence in the wrong way. We look at leadership in the wrong way. 
We talked about this a couple weeks ago in 1 Timothy 3 when Paul writes about leadership and he writes over 20 virtues and qualifications of leaders and there is one skill, one skill, the ability to teach and explain the gospel, one skill. Everything else is character. But in our social media day and age, what, what do we look for in leaders? Not character. Character is something we really just do not seem to care about. And, and it, and it hurts us in the end, doesn't it? It hurts us in the end. Because we look at somebody who's charismatic, we look at somebody who is probably young, good looking, we look at somebody who seems to have it together, maybe they have money and they're powerful, and so we give that person influence. But they don't have character, and then we go, why didn't it work out? And so Paul writes, and he says, there's five things that we need to focus on when it comes to influence. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to get all five things. We're going to do five things. So you'll know how close we are to the end when we get to the five things, okay? So there's five things that Paul writes about how we do influence and how we get on the right path when it comes to influence, okay? And I'm going to keep using the word influence because I think that's better than leadership for this talk, okay? But it's the same thing. Leadership is just influence. It just is. And so I want you to think, as we go through this list, this is kind of a, this is kind of a self-evaluation sermon for us a little bit to ask, which of these do you need to grow in? Which of these five things do you need to grow in? He says this in verse 17. Paul writes, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. And so the first thing we have to understand about influencing is we have to have an appreciation for it. We have to have an appreciation for the power of influence. And a lot of us really underestimate the power of leadership and influence in our lives. We underestimate it. We underestimate the power that we can have in somebody else's life. Many of us wonder, are we even influencing anybody? But the reality is you are influencing someone and we have to have an appreciation for the power of influence. And Paul says that good leaders are considered worthy of double honor. Now, honor is something that we saw last week. We're going to see it again next week. It's a theme within the church, within the household of God, that we are to honor each other in relationships and community. We're to honor the leaders and influence that God places over us, okay? The people in your life that you don't like that are over you, God has placed them in your life. We need to honor them. Now, that doesn't mean you blindly follow somebody. It doesn't mean you blindly follow the leaders here at our church. It doesn't mean that you blindly just follow me because I said something. But what it does mean is that we honor them because God has placed them there. We pray for them. The work that they put in, the prayers that they pray, we, we pray for their heart, for their character. We show appreciation. And so do you show appreciation for influence? Do you appreciate the power of influence that you could have in somebody's life? Do you appreciate the power of influence that somebody else has in your life? The next thing that Paul says is the idea of fairness. He says in verse 19, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. And so Paul starts off by saying we need to appreciate and honor leaders and then he moves to, well, what do you do when a leader goes off the rails? What do you do when a leader gets accused of something? Because Paul is telling Timothy that if someone comes to him with an accusation about a leader, he, he's telling him how to deal with it. And in the Old Testament, when, when Moses brings the, the nation of Israel out of slavery in, in Exodus, 
God brings them and gives them the law, and he says, if there are not two or three witnesses, then discard it. And so this idea then, so what he says to Timothy is that don't just go after every accusation, but make sure you listen to every accusation. And so to be fair, to listen. Now, this is hard in our day and age, to be fair, okay? Social media makes it really hard to be fair. It was interesting the other day, I didn't realize this happened on Twitter, but the other day, there was, there was a headline that I read, and I went to repost the headline. I just hit the repost button on Twitter. And it asked me, do I want to read the article first? Okay? Now, you've done this. You've read the headline, and you're like, obviously, I know what the article says. I'm obviously an expert. <laughs> you did this during COVID. We were all smarter than every other doctor we ever heard of. But how easy is it for us to be fair? And I thought for a moment, I'm like, do I want to read the article? No, I don't want to read the article. <laughs> but how easy is that for us to do? To hear something from somebody, whether it's in a community group or at work, hey, did you hear? And we don't question, is it right? Is it true? Is it helpful? Does that build up each other? Does that honor each other? What does that person get out of it? We don't ask those questions. And so Paul says that we need to be wise about things that we hear. We need to be wise. We need to listen. And I think it's interesting then that he says that if there are multiple witnesses, publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. Because here's why. That's kind of a funny sentence for the Bible, but I think Paul wants us to understand the gravity that comes with influence. That what is at stake that comes with influence? Okay, when you lead in your family, there are generations at stake with the decisions that you make. At work, there are families at stake with the decisions that are made. School, there's families at stake. Here at our church, there's so many people at stake with decisions that are made. And so there needs to be a healthy level of fear that we have about influence that God gives to us. In your fr friend group, you have the power to make decisions that can make or break people's lives for decades to come by the situations you put yourself in. But we don't think about life like that. We don't think about life like that. We just think, is this going to be fun? Do I want to do this? Paul wants us to step back and go, no, no. There is so much at stake when it comes to influence. There's so much at stake. And if you're a parent, don't sell yourself short. If you're a grandparent, don't sell yourself short about the influence that you have in your family's life. Don't sell yourself short. He says in verse 21, then the third thing. We start with appreciation and fairness. He says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice. Do nothing out of favoritism. He says, leaders are not to show favoritism. They are to be impartial. And James, the, the brother of Jesus, echoes this when he talks about not showing favoritism to people. Not showing favoritism to people because they have money. Not showing favoritism because they're able to get you ahead. Not showing favoritism. And, and this is easy to do in life. 
right? This is really easy to do. This is easy for you to like have a favorite kid. It's easy for you to have a favorite employee at work, maybe bend the rules a little bit for that employee that you, that you like a little bit more than the other employee. It's easy to do. But Paul says it actually hurts our influence. It hurts our influence. And it's easy to fall into the trap of favoritism. It's easy to do that at church. And that's why it's so important about the plurality of leaders in a church when they talk about elders in the New Testament. It's a plurality of elders. So people will often say, well, Josh, like, how do the elders work? Like, do you lead the elders? No, I don't lead the elders. I am one of the elders. There are six of us, and I am one of them. I don't have, like, two votes. I have one. Like, I, people are like, well, can you ever lose to the elders? Yes, I can lose to the elders. That's the point of the elders. But that's, that's, that's why that's there. Because when I enter into that room, when we enter into our staff meeting, the people sitting around that table see things I don't see. And I see things that they don't see. And so they're able to say, hey, like, is that the right thing? And are we, you know, going too far this way? Are we showing favoritism here? And, and that's an important question. But we have to ask ourselves, so do you show favoritism in your life? And how does that hurt your influence? And you might think, well, I don't show favoritism, but would the people around you say that you show favoritism to anyone or anything? And if you think, well, I don't really want to ask and find out, then you do. <laughs> do you show favoritism? The next one is he turns to how we bring someone into leadership and into influence. He says, don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. And so Paul tells Timothy to use caution when it comes to influence, to use caution, which is interesting because Timothy is already, a, we already know he's a very cautious, timid person. But there is a desire that we have, especially as young leaders, when you're, in your, when, when you're a student and you're you know, moving into your 20s, like you want to move into leadership. Like you're, you're ready. You're the smartest person in the room. You know more than all the bosses. I, I remember when I was 23 years old, I was right out of Bible college, and I was for sure smarter than every other pastor that I worked with. Like I was just convinced of that. I was like, if they just do my ideas, this church will explode. But they had wisdom to go, yeah, we'll wait on that. Like, you know, and, and they had caution. Because I can tell you this, my most painful leadership moments have come from putting somebody into leadership that was not ready for leadership. And you've probably seen this in your life. You've probably seen this in your life. I remember one of my first jobs at a church I got hired to be the worship leader for the student ministry. And I was so excited. I had led worship at a college ministry. I was in a worship band and you know, we traveled all, you know, all over the southeast and we made an album and everything. So I, I thought I was a lot. You know, I thought I was amazing. I got hired to be the worship leader for the student ministry, several hundred students. And I didn't lead worship for the first four months on the job, okay? All I did was set up rooms, move chairs, take trash out, made copies. I remember I went to the student pastor and I said, hey man, I was like, I appreciate doing all this, but I said, when am I going to lead worship? He goes, well, when you're ready. I said, well, I am ready. You hired me to lead worship. You had me doing all this other stuff. 
And I said, so when am I ready? And he goes, when you stop asking. Okay? And he was right. And he looked at me and he said, Josh, he said, if, if serving's beneath you, then leading's beyond you. And it's true. But we immediately want to jump to the front of the line and so we'll, especially in churches, we fall into the trap of putting people, you know, in a, in a place where their charisma and their skills seem to be, but their character can't withstand. And I remember when we were in Tucson, we had, when we planted our church, and, you know, we were a church mostly of young adults, people in their 20s, we, you know, so we were all very, like, gung-ho, like, we're going to change the world. And we, we started to come up with a saying um, that we would call someone the guns blazing awesome guy, okay? Now, the guns blazing awesome guy was the guy that came in who was like all skills, all charisma, big smile. He was like, he was like I was in my 20s. Like, when do I get to stand on stage? When do I get to be in charge of stuff? When do I get to do things? We said, oh, you're the guns blazing awesome guy. Well, who's the guns blazing awesome guy? You are. What does that mean? It means you are guns blazing awesome, but we want your character to catch up to the guns blazing awesomeness of you. And so Paul says, go slow. Go slow. This is why people will ask, well, how long does it take to become an elder? Well, you gotta lead a small group. You need to develop people. We wanna see your character. Why is that important? Because we wanna go slow. We wanna see who you are. We wanna see the depth of your maturity. We wanna see how God has shaped you. Because you've seen this in your life, for sure. You've seen people who have just flamed out and fizzled out because they got a platform they weren't ready for. They got a platform they weren't ready for. And so Paul says, go slow, take caution. But then he tells Timothy something really important about leadership in the next verse. He says, don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses, which seems like a really weird, and if I was Timothy, I'd be like, Paul, why did you write that to be in history forever? <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, why? But here's the thing that it tells us about influence is that it will eat your lunch. Leadership and influence, godly leadership and influence will make you sick. It will. Here's why. Because people will crush you if you're not ready for it. I mean, if you're a leader, you have laid in bed stressing over a decision, stressing over firing somebody, stressing over what's gonna happen next if you're selling the farm too soon. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, hey, like leadership is gonna churn your stomach. And so what he's writing is he's saying, don't want something that you really don't want. Because it is amazing. I'll tell you as a pastor, I, I've worked in ministry now for over 20 years. I mean, I, I love last week when we're celebrating baptisms and hearing stories and, and people are crying and we're just hearing how God has transformed people and that is unbelievable. I mean, I, I would do that every Sunday. But here's what also comes with leadership. Gossip. Being stabbed in the back. Betrayal. People saying awful, vile things about you that aren't true. People wrecking their lives when you sit with them and you pray with them and 
And they're like, yeah, I'm just not going to listen to you. I'm totally going to just destroy my life. And he's like, why? And that's, I remember when I, in this interview with Johnny, and I asked him, I said, what are the pitfalls I need to watch out for? And he said, you need to know how to handle the hurt and the losses that will crush you. I've never forgotten that. And that is what Paul is talking about. And so he's saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, like, I know you watched what I did, and it was really exciting what I did, and starting churches, and speaking in the amphitheater, and Ephesus, and all of that, but leadership's not all the stage. Influence isn't all the stage. And so we have to ask ourselves, do I really want the dreams that I have and the prayers that I'm asking God for? And he's saying, have some caution, not only as you raise up people, but also as you try to step into some places. You know, I've watched different pastors over the years, and they've, they've gotten platforms and, and different things that I've, like, longed for. And now as I've gotten older, I'm like, man, God was really protecting me from places that I didn't want to be. But my ego really wanted to be. And so if you're in a place right now where, where God's not giving you all the dreams that you have been praying for and all the things that you're hoping for, maybe it's because he's protecting you. He might be protecting you and saying, you know what, I don't, that's not for you. I don't have that for you. I don't have that for you. And if you're timid and, and you stress at night and you think through every single conversation and you replay it again and again like Timothy does, it's Okay. You can still be a great, incredible, godly leader who influences people. God uses Timothy in incredible ways. But what he says to Timothy, what Paul says, in just a loving, just spiritual father way, is Timothy, figure out how to deal with the indigestion of leadership. Figure out how to deal. And you have to figure it out. If you're, a, a, as a Christian business leader, you have to figure out, how do I deal with just everything that's flying at me? How do I hold on to my faith on Monday morning? When you're a student, you have to think through, how do, how do I handle everything that's being thrown at me in our culture today? How do I hold on to my faith? How do I deal with, with losses when people make fun of me or say something about my faith or I feel really embarrassed about it? That's all part of being a godly influence is how do you deal with that? You might think, man, is it, is it worth it to be a godly influence? I mean, that, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't feel worth it, right? It doesn't feel worth it. Like you think, man, it'd be so much easier if I just pretended like I didn't believe this, this, or this. That would be easier but then we would sell out. I love what Mark Sayer says. He, he's a pastor in Australia. If you know anything about Australia compared to America, you know it is very post-Christian, you know, years ahead of where America is at this point. But he says this. He says that perseverance builds character. This is why we, this is why we do the hard stuff. Perseverance builds character. Then character builds spiritual authority. And spiritual authority builds influence. And influence spreads the renewal of the church and the gospel. So the moment that you sit there and go, it is really, really hard to have character. It is really, really hard to persevere in my faith. Know that that perseverance is developing something in you for what's next. 
And that character then builds spiritual authority. Who has spiritual authority? The people who persevere through the difficult things. And that spiritual authority then leads to influence. Now, here's the thing. We all want to get to influence, but none of us want to persevere to get there. But that's what it takes. That's what it takes. That's the influence that lasts. A strong character that can't be shaken, a faith that withstands the storms, a strong stomach when people desert you or turn on you, and the faith to withstand the attacks of the enemy. Because make no mistake, when you strive to have godly influence in your family, at work, at school, it is not just the culture and the people around you who are coming after you, it is also the attacks of the enemy. Because it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. There's weariness, there's tired. You just think, man, I'm, I'm just exhausted from this. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle. When you're, if you're a group leader, as you're sitting with people and you just think, man, I'm just exhausted after sitting with people. It's a good exhaustion, but I'm exhausted. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle as you're sitting with people and praying for people and interceding for people and you're crying out for people. If you're a parent and you think, I'm just exhausted. Why? Because you're crying out for your kids. It is exhausting. But that is where godly influence comes from. That's where it comes from. And so if you're exhausted, yes, take a nap, but know that you are on the right path, that you are contending in the right way, okay? Last, the last thing he tells us about influence. He says in verse 24, some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, Good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. So Paul tells us here what one mentor told me years ago was the most important part of leadership and influence, and that is discernment. Discernment. The ability to make decisions and see through the fog. Paul says some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but some surface later. This is important. Eventually, Everybody's character comes out in the end. Eventually, we see who everybody is. We eventually do. We see if things last. And we'll often see character and integrity when people don't get their way. We'll see it when life gets really difficult. We'll see their maturity and how they respond in that. And that's not easy. I look back over... You know, as a younger leader, I think, man, like the temper tantrums that I threw. Like the times that I just like laid on my floor yelling at God about stuff. But Paul says one of the most important things about influencing is discernment. The ability to see something. And not only see something, but then the strength and the fortitude to follow through. Right? And, and to know that as a leader, as somebody who is striving after godly influence, you may make a decision that nobody else stands with you on. You may make a decision that no one else stands with you on. You may find yourself losing things, losing friends, losing money because of a decision you've made. That you're like, I know God is telling me to do this. And that's not easy. So, as I said at the beginning, this is kind of an evaluation for us a little bit. And I want to use this 
list as a way to set up our time for communion. Because when you look at these five things of appreciation, of fairness, of favoritism, of caution, of discernment, there's one on this list that you're probably great at. Okay, and you can pat yourself on the back, you're great at that, good job. But there's probably one on this list that you're not really great at. You look at it and you go, you know what, actually that is, that's really an area of growth for me. That's a spot that I need to grow in. And I would encourage you this week in your, in your groups as you talk about this sermon to, to be bold and to share which one of these five areas that you need to grow in as it comes to godly influence. And use that as a way for people to pray for you, to pray with you. And be bold. And, and know everybody in your group has one. And somebody who says they're great at all five, they're lying. So you can just tell them that when we, in your group. But which of these is the one for you that you need to grow in? Okay? I'll tell you mine. Mine's the second one, fairness. That, that's really hard for me. So I'll, that's mine. That's the area I need to grow in. But as we prepare to take communion, communion is something we do each week. And it's just a moment in our service where we pause and we remind ourselves of how we have fallen short, of how God has rescued us. And some weeks we, we enter into it in different ways, and this week I wanna use this list as a way of just confessing, just an opportunity for us to do a little bit of business with God. If you just say, God, this is the area of my life that I need to grow in to have godly influence. Is it, is it favoritism? Is it fairness? Maybe you're in a place where you're just not being cautious and you're, you're just getting impatient and you need to confess, God, I'm just being impatient. You're not working on my timetable. It's time for you to speed it up. Maybe you're being impatient. Maybe it's discernment. Maybe you're just not listening to godly advice and godly wisdom. Maybe you just, you just keep making dumb decision after dumb decision. And you need to go, you know what? It's just time for me to stop. But here's the great thing, and this is, why, this is why we do this for communion, is because communion then is this reminder that we come up and we remind ourselves in communion of the, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And what the cross reminds us of is that we need help. That's what the cross reminds us of. And that that help is found in the resurrection of Jesus. That hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus. And so when we come and confess our sins to God and say, God, this is the area I need to grow in, God doesn't stand there and go, man, like, I'm just so disappointed in you. He doesn't think that. No, he says, I sent my son to redeem that. I sent my son to forgive that. I know that that was your thing. I knew that. That's what he says. And he gives us grace and a big hug. And so I want to invite you to just take a moment. The band is going to play and going to lead us in a song. So just take a moment and say, God, this is, where, this is where I fall short. This is where I fall short in influence. And then when you're ready, you can get up out of your seat, come forward. And as you take the elements, as you come down front here and grab the bread and the juice to remind yourself, I have been made new through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that as we bring our broken places, especially as we look at just this list of five things, all of us have at least one thing, maybe multiple things that we're not great at on this list, that we fall short in again and again. Or maybe we've never even thought about it. We've never even seen it as something that we need to think about for influence. 
And so God, I pray that you would help us to be people who appreciate influence, people who are fair, people who don't show favoritism, who are cautious and move on your timeline, and people who are discerning. Because we know that if we get influence right, it leads to spiritual authority to move the gospel forward for the church to be irresistible in our community. And we want people to see our lives, we want people to see our faith as irresistible, and we want them to see you as irresistible through our lives. In your name.